Welcome to the Cross Current Radio Show, your spiritual speaker's corner, broadcast and podcast. Transhumanism. Heard of it? It's a growing philosophical movement among leading entrepreneurs, scientists, artists, politicians, and futurists. If you can believe it, these cultural kingpins are actually putting their faith in the future of humanity, living in what they're calling a post-human world. In this fascinating and frightening series, we'll first be in the studio to hear from Dr. David Herbert, author of Becoming God and an expert on the topic of transhumanism. And then, as always, we'll also take the truth from the studio to the street to hear what you have to say on the subject. Finally, we'll open God's Word together to reinforce the foundational biblical truth that our unfailing hope of immortality is found only in Jesus Christ. And now, let's join TCC radio host Corey McKenna in the studio. Hi, I'm Corey McKenna. Welcome again to the Cross Current Radio Show and part three of our special series called Becoming God on the subject of transhumanism. I'm again joined in the studio by David Herbert, author of the book Becoming God, Transhumanism and the Quest for Cybernetic Immortality. If you haven't already, I strongly encourage you to order your copy online at joshuapress.com. Well, thanks again for joining us, David. Thank you, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here again. Well, just a quick recap of the road traveled so far. Uh, In part one of the series, we defined transhumanism and discussed the history and doctrines of the transhumanist movement. Then last time in part two, we were introduced to Ray Kurzweil, a very influential author and futurist who's really become the face and voice of the transhumanist movement. And that brings us now to part three, where we'll dig a bit deeper into the mind of this Kurzweil character, and we'll also learn more about his high-powered partners and his plans for the future. David, I read in chapter 6 of your book that Ray Kurzweil is also known for his belief in what's called the singularity. That was yet another new term for me. Now, can you define it for us? Well, when you think in terms of the singularity, and uh, Ray Kurzweil has um, given a date to it, uh, 2045, but we must think that uh, there are really three stages here. We think in terms of, of humanity, which we are right now, and we're moving into the second step, which is transhumanism, but it is the gateway into um, post-humanism. Now, in this post-human state, and I I think of the um, video um, by Ray Ray Kurzweil dealing with transcendent man, uh, he has some interesting thoughts about um, moving into the the state. Uh, I think, first of all, we have to keep in mind that uh, in the state, man will be in total control. He'll be autonomous. Um, when you think in terms of evolutionary development. Here, we will finally have conquered death. And I can still think, in, as I reflect on the program, Transhuman Man, um, Ray Kurzweil has this idea that now we're in total control of our universe. 
Now, again, uh, we mentioned this in a previous part of the series, that this sounds suspiciously, again, like Genesis 3. For those of you who are not familiar with the term autonomous or autonomy, basically that just means a law unto ourselves. We want to self-determine right from wrong, life from death. We want to be in control. Essentially, we want to become God. And um, this just seems really like history repeating itself. The Bible's so clear on all these concepts. Now, now talk about, um, uh, is it... Uh, Vida Natasha Moore? Uh, is it, do I got that right? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, this personality. Yes, Natasha Vita Moore. Uh, she is, um, by training, an art designer, and also she would be considered the leading female uh, transhumanist philosopher. Now, when you think in terms of our moving into the post-human stage, we um, have to think about how are we going to look? What, what will our appearance be? Now, there are um, some sort of grotesque uh, pictures of a person who becomes a transhuman, that when you're more, um, what, mechanical, um, I'm just trying to think of some other word here, when you think in terms of uh, some of the movies, how we are portrayed. But um, Natasha Vita Moore, um, she feels that uh, when we move into this post-human state, that we're going to retain our body. And uh, she has um, termed uh, this person called primal posthuman. Now, as she looks at this um, person, or I guess this posthuman person, uh, she has designed uh, a type of body which really is very characteristic of ours. Um, I'm thinking of some of the characteristics of this body. Um, first of all, it's going to be ageless. I mean, this is certainly one of the uh, tenets of... of um, transhumanism or posthumanism, we will also, in this state, be highly intelligent. Uh, when you think in terms of our present state, we have, what, a hundred trillion synapses. Uh, she feels that uh, we'll have 100 quadrillion synapses. Something else we could mention, the, um, we think in terms of our bodies here, we, our normal pulse rate is 72 uh, beats per, per minute. Uh, she's going to be thinking in terms of a, of a heart that will have 350 beats, this sort of, a, this turbo hearts. When you think in terms, too, of our, um, our skin, uh, she feels that, of course, it's pliable and so on. Uh, she envisions a person who is posthuman to have a very um, hard, that the skin will be almost diamond-like. And something else which is also interesting, too, is that the, the skin... Um, can change color. I think for, uh, for some women, they're going to love this, that uh, you can, uh, depending on your mood and what you want to do, uh, the skin um, will change. So uh, she has this, this body, and I find it interesting that she wants to retain uh, the body that we have that God created us, but she wants to um, have it um, set up and have these sort of characteristics of being post-human. If you're just joining us, that's the voice of David Herbert, author of the book Becoming God, Transhumanism and the Quest for Cybernetic Immortality. Now, we're talking about this concept of post-human. Now, as you sort of break that down, you give us kind of what that, uh, that prototype, like, <laughs> lack of a better word, looks like. That sounds to me like it may, may be more sort of striving for superhuman. I mean, we see that uh, it's so obvious here that um, 
if people take the the evolutionary worldview to its quote-unquote logical outcome, now we know we, we don't believe the evolution biology or the philosophy of evolution, but it sounds as though the people are, are looking to become superhuman, like beyond, do, to be able to, to perform beyond what the average person today can do. Does that sound about right to you, David? Oh, I think you're absolutely true. That... Um when a transhumanist look at, at our body here, and uh, when you think in terms of our limitations, um, by moving into this post-human state, and certainly when you think in terms of uh, Natasha Vita Moore's understanding of this new body, uh, you're t- certainly true. Superhuman is a good designation. You had mentioned um, that this date, 2045, this is sort of the date that Kurzweil, Ray Kurzweil, has predicted that, um, that humanity will become post-human. So... After 2045, what do transhumanists believe will happen to the human body? Like, where's that headed? Well, as I mentioned previously, there's a, a couple of uh, aspects. Um, some people think it will be totally destroyed and will become totally um, computerized or mechanized. And in the case of uh, Natasha Vita Moore, she sees the, the merging of technology with this new body, which she calls a primal um, post-human. Now, question here, David. Ray Kurzweil was born in 1948, which means, if my math is right, in 2045, he'll be 97 years old. So how does he plan to personally experience this singularity? He has actually two plans. Uh, Plan A is that um, presently he takes 150 pills a day. Um, Of course, he owns a company that produces these pills, which is uh, convenient. But um, by taking these pills... Um, he feels that uh, his biological body right now is about 45. And so uh, this is one of the aspects that, that he has, is if he can extend his um, present biological body to the age of uh, 97, then uh, he would then feels to be ready for the, uh, the singularity. Now, if that doesn't work, he has plan B. And that is he has made arrangements to have his body uh, cryopreserved. This is through the um, Alcor um, Life Extension Foundation. And so he's made this preparation. And uh, he's hoping that uh, this will give him the opportunity if his body is cryopreserved. Um, if he's not here in 2045, then um, possibly they can revive his body and then he can go on into uh, the post human state. Now, if that's a new term for you, cryopreserved basically means frozen. And uh, we, want to <laughs> we want to press pause right there, because if you're anything like me, you're likely thinking, like, brain and body freeze? Like, really? Well, we again took the subject to the streets, and here's what you had to say. In the studio and on the street with the Cross Current Radio Show. So this is Eric with TCC Radio, and today we're here talking with Bob about uh, transhumanism. Bob, have you ever heard of transhumanism before today? No, I can't say that I have, Eric. All right, let me just explain what it is real quick, and then I got a couple questions for you about it. So transhumanism is an international movement that desires to use science and technology to improve human mental and physical capabilities. Its long-term goal would be to provide necessary enhancements in order to eliminate diseases, disabilities, aging, and eventually death. So that's the long-term goal of it. Uh, And an individual re-engineered through this process uh, would be regarded as post-human or a cyborg. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> it's actually fairly humorous. Uh, I don't see how you can live a life 
without expecting one day you're going to die. Okay, so if you, Bob, were given the opportunity of receiving a brain chip implant that would improve your mental and physical capabilities, this procedure would necessitate a reconfiguration of your brain. Would you do it, yes or no, and why or why not? No. Um, you would think that in my mid-50s I might have said yes, um, as my body is uh, now starting to fail. Um, but no, um, I'm enjoying uh, the fact that I'm getting older and realize that uh, my body is going to fail and one day that I'm going to die. To, uh, if I could be much smarter and much stronger, yeah, that would be a cool thing to do. Um, but to prolong my life, um, I don't think that's the right way for me to go. Okay. Uh, do you believe that the transhumanist goal of ultimately eliminating death is possible? No. I completely disagree. And why is that? Um, we already have an overpopulation problem. So that would mean if there's no death, then there's no reason to have children, which has got to be the, the best thing ever. Having children is, is a great experience, you think? I think it's the best experience I've ever had. Right. Okay, here's the, the next question. Transhumanists are convinced that by 2045, technology will be so advanced uh, that they can enter the next step of existence, post-humanism. In the event that they should die before 2045, transhumanists have arranged to be cryopreserved or frozen. Would you have your body cryopreserved when you died? No. Um, not only that, I believe that anybody that's done it in the past has died and froze to death. <laughs> died and froze to death, a second death. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I imagine when they froze them, uh, whether they were dead first or not, yeah. um, you would need a greater power than a man to be able to take that back. Okay, obviously the thing I think of when I think about all this transhumanist uh, uh, stuff and people trying basically not to die, uh, I think about the fact that people must have something in them that uh, that militates against death. Something that either they're afraid of death or they don't want to die. Um, do you have any feelings like that at all, Bob? Um, I suppose everyone fears death, that they're going to die before their time. However, I would think that once I reach my 70s, that my body will be failed enough that I'll be looking forward to death. I've, uh, I've been a carpenter my whole life and I've done construction. I beat myself up. Um, I imagine at that point I would be looking forward to death. Yeah, okay, so when you say I don't know what happens when I die, does anything in you fear that unknown or wonder if, if maybe there's something on the other side after death that is maybe even, that is worse possibly than what we have here right now? If there is something after death, that would probably be a good thing. I mean, if, if, if there is a heaven, if there is a hell, um, certainly there's either something, if, if there is something after death, it's either better or worse. Right. Okay. Well, this is a Christian radio show, so I'm just going to ask you some stuff about, what, uh, inform you a bit about what the Bible says and ask you a bit about it. Um, the Bible says that there is a heaven and a hell and the, and, uh, the scriptures say that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this comes the judgment. So we'll stand before a holy God, a perfect holy God in a perfect righteous judgment. The Bible also says that um, there's coming a day 
when God will judge the world in righteousness. So according to a perfectly righteous standard. Uh, from there, he will judge whether you are innocent or guilty. And the guilty will go, will enter a place called the lake of fire, hell. Uh, and the innocent, those who are, only those who are perfectly innocent will enter heaven uh, to be with God and enjoy him forever. Um, do you think that that is a possibility? Of course, it's a possibility. And if that, speaking personally, um, I'm not making it to heaven because I'm certainly imperfect. And have I, not that I consider myself a bad person, but I've certainly done things wrong in my life. And furthermore, if you need to be perfect to get into heaven, it's going to be a very small populated place. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Do you think anybody would make it into heaven if the standard is perfection? No. No. Okay, so you agree with the Bible. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not one that does good. No, not one. Um, and that uh, anyone who dies and stands before God uh, in their sin uh, will be entirely guilty. Now, based on that standard, not a single person would get into heaven. No, certainly not. Yeah, so um, what then, the Bible does teach that there are people in heaven, so and that there are people who will go to heaven. So how do you think that's even possible? Well, actually, my mother's probably there. My mother was a beautiful person. Um, she, uh, she would see somebody on the street dropping something. It would run from her house to help them. Yeah. Um, I've never heard her say a bad word in her life. Um, was she perfect? Probably not. Um, but that's about as close as I would. Sure. Okay. So, um, here's, uh, if we go through the Ten Commandments, which are, are you relatively familiar with the Ten Commandments? Yes, I am. Okay. So the Ten Commandments give us what the, the Bible says that God's law is like a mirror. It shows us what kind of person we really are in comparison to God. And so it says, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not, um, use God's name in vain, you know, um, all of these things that all of us have done and all of us are guilty of doing, myself included. There's not a single person I've ever talked to in my life who I consider a worse sinner than myself because I know myself, I know how deep my own sin is. And um, so because of that, what we all deserve is God's justice. And if God is perfectly just, then he must punish all of our sin. And even one sin is enough to make us guilty and deserving of hell. Now, do you, um, do you think that there's anything that a person can do about their guilt before God on their own? Well, beg forgiveness is uh, about all you could do. If you were faced with a, with a perfect being who was judging you and was going to punish you, all you could do was beg for forgiveness. Yeah, that's right. That's about all. That's about the extent of what we could do. But... The problem with that is begging for forgiveness will not erase our guilt, right? Like begging for forgiveness from God is not enough to cover our sin. Uh, if you walk into a court of law and you've committed a crime and you are guilty of it, begging for forgiveness is not going to cause a perfectly just judge to allow you out of your sentence, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, certainly. Yeah. So this is what the Bible says God has done for us because there's nothing that we could do for ourselves to make us right with him. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So our what we earn from our sin is death, a second death. The Bible calls being cast into the lake of fire the second death. Okay, so the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So how he accomplishes this is he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth 2,000 years ago who lived a perfect life and never once sinned against God. But Jesus Christ died a brutal death that a criminal deserved. When he was dying on the, hanging on that cross and being beaten and scourged and hanging there and bleeding and dying, the Bible says that God's wrath against sin was poured out on him, even though he had committed no sin himself. He died, he rose from the dead, proving that he was innocent, but what he had done was valid in the eyes of God to, to defeat sin, to defeat death. And the Bible says that any person who will turn away from their sin, their lifestyle of sinfulness, and, and put their faith in Jesus Christ to pay for their sin in their place, God can grant them righteousness because their sin is already paid for by Jesus Christ and they can be counted innocent because Jesus Christ has paid for their sin already and so there's nothing left to pay for. Welcome back to the studio of TCC Radio. With me is David Herbert, author of the book Becoming God, Transhumanism, and the Quest for Cybernetic Immortality. Okay, David, let's get back to this concept of cryonics. Out of curiosity, what is the cost to be cryopreserved? I doubt it's free. It's certainly not free. To have a whole body cryopreserved costs about um, $200,000. Now, some people uh, opt for what's called a neuro, not just the head only. It's uh, $100,000. Of course, when you think in terms of uh, getting back to the sort of transhumanist philosophy, the, the head is the one thing that must be uh, preserved. It, it maintains our personality, our uh, intelligence, the essence of who we are. And so uh, neural um, preservation is very important. Now something else that uh, people are doing now is that um, they are setting up a, uh, an insurance plan that uh, when they die, um, their um, plan will be willed to Alcor and this has become sort of the uh, ways in which they can f financially sustain uh, the whole question of cryopreservation. Now, for any Christians listening right now, um, I just wanted to just frame your thinking a little bit here. When David is speaking in these sort of dogmatic terms of the head being uh, the center of who we are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we're talking to you within the worldview of transhumanism. We don't believe all these concepts as Christians because God gives us the truth about these things in his word. So we're going to cover that in our next episode. But just to make sure that everyone understands that uh, we haven't lost our minds here at TCC Radio, we are very clear thinking about this, but we're trying to basically help you understand that the world you and really the really subversive agenda of the transhumanist movement. Now, I recently read that on January 17th, 2013, a 23-year-old medical student named Kim Suozzi died. Now, how did her death raise the profile of cryopreservation, David? What can you tell us about that? Uh, before me, I have a, a news release that was put out by uh, Alcor, and it gave some sort of background to, um, to Kim Suozzi. And uh, first of all, they mentioned that uh, she was the 114th person that uh, has been cryopreserved. Now, the background here is that uh, two years, this would be in uh, 2011, um, she was diagnosed with uh, severe or aggressive uh, brain cancer. She went through the process of um, attending to this uh, se severe um, uh, malady. She came to the conclusion that... Um, even with uh, the treatment 
that uh, there was no way in which he could be cured. And so she started to look around and to investigate what are the other options. Now, essentially, she's an atheist. And when she looked at the other options, uh, when you think in terms of, um, of death, uh, she said that it is, better, it is a better bet that um, she think in terms of cryopreservation because whether the body is decomposed or whether it's um, cremated, um, these are dead ends. And so this was a much better option for her. And so she, what she did was she began to um, investigate this, and she realized that it was going to cost her $100,000 to be um, cryopreserved. Um, she only wanted a neural, her head only. This is where the Internet became uh, um, very important because um, through the Internet she raised $70,000. Now, to cover the extra $30,000, what they decided to do was that they would uh, move her into a hospice in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, uh, of course, she was there, so they didn't have to worry about the uh, transportation fees. And so at her death, um, she was quickly moved into the um, facilities at Scottsdale. Of course, her, her head was re removed from the body, and uh, she was cryopreserved. It's interesting that her boyfriend, he made this very salient comment. Our hope is that technology will continue to progress to the point that Kim may have a real chance to living again in the future. Unfortunately, the Rusquit technologies could be decades or centuries away. And so even he in this statement here is looking forward to the possibility that uh, cryopreservation will give Kim an opportunity to live in the future. Wow, that's such a, a sad and hopeless story. Um, and on that note, our listeners are likely wondering, what's your, your personal view on the success of transhumanism? Well, my personal point of view is that uh, as a Christian, uh, I think that uh, transhumanism and eventually postism is a, is a total failure. Um, there are a couple of things that, uh, that come to mind. I don't think we're going to conquer death. I think the, the Bible makes it very plain that uh, it's a result of sin, and this is the, the problem that we have here. A second aspect of this whole thing is I think that um, uh, transhumanism is flawed in that it has an improper understanding of really who we are, that we are, by nature, spiritual people. Well, we're again just about out of time for this episode, but David, those closing thoughts have really teed up our fourth and final part of this series, because next time uh, we'll open Scripture and apply God's Word to the subject of transhumanism and talk truth about immortality. Well, thanks again for being with us, David. If you missed the promo earlier in the program, David Herbert's book is called Becoming God, Transhumanism, and the Quest for Cybernetic Immortality, and you can order it online at joshuapress.com. And thanks again to you for tuning in to TCC Radio. Please visit us online at tccradio.com, where you'll find our podcast and also several more street interviews with average, everyday Canadians on the topic of transhumanism. Until next time, I'm Corey McKenna, in the studio and on the street, keeping the cross current in our culture. Hi, I'm Corey McKenna, president of The Cross Current. Will you help hear H-E-A-R at home with us? Thanks to ministry partners like you, 
we were able to send me into the field full-time on July 1st, but to equip more Christians online and to engage more non-Christians on air, we need your support. To learn how to pray, give, and go with us, visit helphere.ca. That's H-E-L-P-H-E-A-R dot C-A. We thank God for you and your partnership in His gospel.